I said in the first service, if I had my life to live over again, I would um, put a sound system in my house, and I would have a lapel, and I would never yell at my children. <laughs> and I would put a lot of reverb in it, like the Ten Commandments, and Moses, and God said, Moses, come down. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, I would have done that different. Um, I, uh, I, am, um, I worked in the electrical industry for about 12 years. I was an engineer. I was not an electrical engineer. I was not a mechanical engineer. I was what they called a, a process engineer. People hired me to do two things. Number one is the product they're making. Does it do what it says it does? If I go to Home Depot and I buy, buy a box of your product, does that product do what it says? I'm, I'm to make sure we're not lying about what we're producing. But the second thing was I had a year once they hired me to improve the process. I'm a process engineer. I study processes. And so um, uh, I, I knew the pressure's on. You know, I got, every day I show up, what are you going to do? I'm making this better. I'm going to make this product better, make it run faster, make it a better quality product so we make more money. That's what we're trying to do. And so God sort of prepared me for ministry. So one day I got to talk with Denise and I. We knew that we were supposed to change so we sold our house and gave away one of our cars. And our parents thought we were in the cult. They sent the deacons to the house to get us delivered. And uh, we weren't in the cult. We just were hanging out with the full gospel businessmen. And uh, I grew up a good Southern Baptist. And so my wife was spirit-filled. So when I got married, I started going to the, the Church of God. And that was a radical change for my family. Like, what do you do over there? Y'all cluck like chickens and bark like dogs? I said, no, we do Shondai Hikimo a lot, but we don't cluck embark and so uh, so uh, so anyhow we go to bible school and uh took us three years to get to a two-year school and we moved kind of slow but i got out and i got on the church staff and they hired me as the education director and i asked them what is that and i said well we really don't know uh, but you're in charge of it and uh <laughs> i'm not exaggerating we were one of those uh charismatic explosion churches in the late 70s and 80s churches were exploding everywhere and nobody knew why People were coming to church, and we didn't know why. Uh, we were a mega church in uh, the early 80s. And uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we were running about 3,000 people. We were running three Sunday morning services, and we had uh, three buses at every service. We never bused people to the church. We only bused people away because we did not have room for everybody. So if you came to our church, and your child was between the ages of 5 and 12, they had to get on the bus out front because we're going to bus them a mile down the road to a, uh, an abandoned strip shopping center where we'd taken over and we had Sunday school classes down there. And so people said, you have a bus minister? Yep. How many kids do you collect? We don't collect any. We're trying to bus them away. We're trying to get rid of as many as we can. <laughs> it was an odd thing. So we didn't know. We didn't know about evangelism. We just knew that we had been spirit-filled and God's doing great things and the word has come alive. And, uh, and we were just excited to show up. But eventually that wave hit the shore and people stopped showing up. And I thought, well, what did we do? I don't know. We didn't know why they showed up. We don't know why they left. We just doing the same thing we're doing. And then we had to get aggressive and start going out and reaching people and teaching people. And so we had to become what we call a real church. You know, that goes out into the world and seeks and saves the lost and teach and, and be a blessing to all, everybody in our community. So that was a great growing process. During that time, they asked me to teach a class on parenting. Now, I married my childhood sweetheart. Uh, Denise had just turned 18. I just turned 20, got back out of the Army. Uh, been engaged for a year and a half. I never dated in high school. I grew up uh, in Hickson, Tennessee. It's a very rural area north of Chattanooga. And uh, we were a country school, and that's country with a K. And so uh, uh, we had friends that were girls, friends that were guys, but we didn't date. We, there was nowhere to go on a date, and we didn't have a car to drive on a date. So uh, I didn't get my driver's license until I was 18 because I had nothing to drive. So I walked to school and walked pretty much everywhere I went. And so I uh, got out of school, and uh, uh, my dad... Nobody in my family had ever been to college, and so I was the first one. So my dad enrolled in the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and the tuition back then was $389 a year. A year. We should have enrolled everybody. We should have made everybody go. And uh, uh, after a year, the uh, University of Tennessee did not kick me out, but they did not let me come back. For legal reasons, I don't go into, because I was a doofus back then. And so uh, I'm in love, so I had my wife say, let's get married, and so... Uh, uh, we, nobody in my family had a church wedding, ever. Nobody had a church wedding. And uh, uh, my wife's father has 12 brothers and sisters. My father, big families. People would ask us all the time, so are you Catholic? I didn't even know what that meant. I said, no. Are you Mormon? No. What 
are you? I said, I'm a backslidden Baptist. And I said, well, how come you have such a big family? I said, well, we had kids to put them to work. We grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. So my grandmother had her first baby. She was 15. And, uh, and we just dropped babies out. What are going to do? Put them to work. That's God. got to put kids. We don't have children because we like kids. I remember one time when uh, we, our, we'd had our sixth child. I was now a school administrator, and I had a student that I really liked. But he would challenge me about having so many kids. And he would get upset and say, Mr. McGee, you got too many kids. I really love you, but you got too many kids. Why do you have so many kids? And uh, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, but you need to understand this. Um, we were at a black tie event one time and uh, we had six kids. And very formal event in Tulsa. And we're there and people are greeting one another. And, and uh, we haven't had dinner yet. But then he started talking to this other couple. And this lady came up and she said, are you Joe McGee? I said, yes, ma'am. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I have all of your cassettes and your books and stuff. And it is so refreshing to meet a man who loves children. And I'm trying to be polite. She's interrupting the conversation, but I'm trying to be polite. Well, yes, ma'am. And then about the third time she said that, it's so refreshing to meet a man who loves children. I said, well, now, ma'am, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't love children that much. I, I do love my kids, but not that much. And she said, well, you obviously love children. Anybody with six kids obviously loves kids. I said, no, ma'am. No, ma'am, you've got the cart in front of the horse. I said, you see that very attractive lady over there by the fireplace? I said, that's my wife. I said, I do not have six children because I love children. <laughs> I have six children because I love my wife. Children were not on my mind. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, when we were on staff, they asked Denise and I to start teaching a parenting class because they assumed, since we had so many kids, we knew what to do with them. I said, and I was very honest with my pastor. Listen, just because you know how to have them doesn't mean you know what to do with them when they show up. That's, that's a different book. That's a different book. And so uh, Denise started teaching parenting. We taught her for eight and a half years in our local church. And during that time, uh, we had big seminars in Tulsa. Uh, Oral Roberts University had a Christian education seminar. Uh, Big pastor up north Tulsa would have a big children's workers seminar every year. My pastor have a pastor seminar. So I spoke at them because I live in town and I'm free. They don't have to pay for a hotel or a plane ticket. And so to, and I, they called and said, Joe, can you teach four or five sessions? Sure. Hey, Joe, could you teach you know, four or five sessions? Sure. What do you want to teach on? Parenting. I teach it every Sunday. I teach on parenting. Nobody teaches on parenting. Everybody teaches on money, end times, revelation. Nobody taught on parenting except Dobson. You know, so I sort of had the thing all to myself. And so when I would teach, uh, I would just teach natural stuff and what I learned. And uh, there's scripture for everything. Now, I'm really big on scripture. I said, the Bible says the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. So we became known as the parenting gurus. And then Denise and I started traveling. Our pastor encouraged us to go out every weekend. So we go either to Wichita, Kansas, or uh, over to Kansas City. You know, we go down to Dallas. So within driving range, we would do a Friday-Saturday seminar. We take all six kids with us, load them up in suburban, and man, we're like a small bus. Here we came. And, uh, and then Denise and I would get up in the pulpit on Friday night, and we didn't have a curriculum. And so we get up there and said, Well, my name's Joe and Denise, and said, uh, we, We're here to teach them parenting. And said, Does anybody have any questions? That was the first shot. And they just stared at us like, What? And we're taking questions. Anybody have any questions? About what? Parenting. I'm here to teach them parenting. And we just stare at them. They'd stare at us and said, Somebody's got to have a question. Don't sit there and be embarrassed. I mean, we're going to stand here for the next hour and a half. Somebody needs to ask something. I'll ask my own question. I'll answer my own. I'll give my own answer. Ask something. So finally, somebody started holding the hand up. Pretty soon, lots of hands went up. And so most of the time, we'd say, uh, I don't know. <laughs> my kids aren't that old yet. I've never been through that. And we would ask, has anybody here been through that? And usually a hand, sir, you mind sharing that with this lady? And tell, give, give the answer. And sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was stupid. <laughs> sometimes it was biblical. Sometimes it wasn't. We'd have, well, I'm not sure that's right, but that's, that's interesting. Don't try that. Uh, <laughs> and so eventually we sort of became, uh, we sort of had a niche on the market, and then uh, eventually these and I began to travel. So we're in our 26th year of teaching called Faith for Families. We teach seminars on the family. Uh, we did at one time 12 basic seminars. We've cut that back to four because I think we're specialized. Uh, we teach on marriage, parenting, men, and money because everybody's going to deal with that at some time. And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about all that. And so most people didn't think anybody, you know, there's no scripture on parenting. And I said, sure there is. There's a ton of it in there. I found out the hard way. And uh, so what I'm going to do here, this is real, it's just real simple, real simple. The Bible's a simple book. It's not complicated. 
Uh, if you look up all the threes, the thing of threes in the Bible, faith, hope, and love, spirit, soul, and body, world, flesh, and the devil. Uh, the book of Jude, just talking about the end times, all the nasty stuff's going to happen. He surmised that whole thing about all the, the end of the world in Jude by saying this, you, however, you believers, you just need to do three things. You need to build up yourself in your most holy faith. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost every day. And you need to walk in love. And so God always simplified. They asked Jesus, they tried to trick him one time. What's the greatest commandment, Lord? And they're trying to trick him. They didn't like him because he's stealing people away from him. So what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, that's easy. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And there's a second commandment like it. You need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said the entire law, all 17 books of the law are tied up in these two commandments. If you'll do these two commandments, you will fulfill the 17 books of the law. Love God, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Well, Ephesians talks about husbands, love your wife like you love yourself. Well, the problem is, what if you don't love you? Well, if you don't love you, your neighbor's in trouble. Because you can't give what you've not received. The only source of love in the universe is God. God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. And if you haven't been born again, you have no ability to love. You can say it, I love you, I love you. You're a liar. You're lying. You know, teenagers go on dates all the time. That's an out-counsel more teenagers. Good Lord. You know, and they get out there because they, you know, they come and all of a sudden somebody's got pregnant and they're sitting in my office. Usually born again spirit-filled kids. And I remember one couple came in, sweet kids, great family, been in church forever. And they're crying because she's now pregnant. And, and they, they said, they said, we only did it once. We only did it once. I said, well, you, have you ever taken agriculture? They teach you here in Oklahoma, you know. Uh, if you sow human seed, you reap human crop. It's a, it's a law. <laughs> it's just so, they make it so deep. It's not that big a deal. And so, uh, so anyhow, we helped them, and it turned out good. They got a great family today, got three kids, are still married. God redeems dumb stuff. He raises the dead. He heals sick people. He does miracles. God is still in the miracle working business. He just needs somebody to be accounted. God's not looking for strong people. God's looking for somebody to show himself strong in. God used the weak things of the world and found the strong. The, the foolish things confound the wise. God loves to show off. He's looking for somebody to show off. When I taught intercessor prayer for 10 years in my local church, I couldn't spell intercessor prayer. I didn't even know what it was. Well, it's about praying for other people. Well, it must be important. It's in the Bible. We need to do this. And uh, I learned something about prayer. Uh, prayer is a legal thing. And uh, Jesus said eight times in the New Testament, you have not because you ask not. Ask so your joy will be made full. And so I thought, what is, what is this thing about asking? It's like prayer. When you pray, uh, and I'm, I've been in church my whole life. I was in church the week after I was born. My kids have been in church all the life. Um, you need to pray. Things don't happen without praying. When Satan, when Satan got Adam and Eve to sin, Adam and Eve have a great life. I mean, it's Adam mostly, you know. It's all good. Weather's perfect, you know. Clothes are cheap. Food is free. It's just great. And uh, God's talking about creation he, in Genesis 2. He said, well, that's good. That's good, 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 very good. Not good. The first time God said not good, he was looking at a man. Not good. Adam said, what's well, not good? You, not good. <laughs> and said, so later here and take a nap. I'm going to fix this. And so God took a rib and he made Eve. So Adam woke up and there was Eve, the centerfold of all of life. Whoa. God thought, I thought you'd like that. And so they didn't milk the cows or feed the camels that day. They went off to fellowship. They didn't need a book or instruction. They didn't need anything. They, they figured it out. The devil has so confused the world, made it so complicated. Love's pretty simple. It's about giving your life away. For God so loved the world, he gave something. Love's not what you feel. Love's what you do. God gave his only begotten son to save a lost and dying world. You love people that aren't lovable. You love people that don't deserve love. But you love people that need love. Everybody needs love. So God sent his son to die, raising from the dead. Why? Because he loves us. Uh, it, we don't earn it. It's a gift. God's love, it's a free grace gift. But you do, a gift still has to be received. You know, people say, well, everybody's going to heaven. No, they're not. Some people are going to hell. God did not make hell for humans. He made hell for the fallen angels. It's biblical. There are eight scriptures in the Bible about your name being blotted out, not written down. I personally believe, my own theology, that everybody's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The moment you're conceived, your name's in that book. 
you'll have to make a choice to not go. Eight times it talks about your name being blotted out. Eventually, God's wanting to save everybody. Jesus died for everybody. God loves everybody. He's trying to reach everybody. At some point, you'll be brought to a decision. No, I don't think so. Like, you're kidding. No, I don't do what I want to do when I want to do it. No, really, really, it's free. It's a gift. It's incredible. There's angels and grace and mercy. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. It's like, what? I don't think so. And that almost can make you a Calvinist. It's almost like, man, man people must be born stupid. No. We're born a free will creature. We get to choose. God says before it's life, death, blessing, cursing. We get to choose. And so when I realized we started teaching with families, people always, divorce courts are packed. Uh, my Tulsa County uh, Christian divorces run about 42%. Uh, all divorces are Christians. And I used to take my seniors down on a field trip every year. One day a week, a year, I'd take all my seniors, put them in a bus. Where are we going? Going on a field trip today. We're going to McDonald's for breakfast. Then we're going down to the county jail. And it's on the fourth floor. We're going to take a tour through the county jail. And you get to look at all the prisoners. In the Tulsa County Jail, they put four to a cell. They all have orange jumpsuits on. And uh, there's a stainless steel toilet in that cell. There's no door. Uh, so if you have to go to the bathroom, you're going to do it with three other people watching. And that might mess you up. Some people stay constipated for a month because it's just a... I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. It's just a, and so people think, well, I'm going to steal a stop sign. I'm going to race my car through town, break the speed limit. Well, let me show where the bad boys go. And it's, it's interesting because you, you see the county jail, but if you go get messed up enough, they'll put you in, in the state prison. Then they'll send you to the federal prison. Then they're going to put you in an electric chair eventually. The longer you stay stupid, the higher the penalties get. It doesn't get easier, it gets worse, because God loves us. He said, judgment starts at the house of God. So God says, judge yourself so you won't have to be judged. Check yourself out. Is this right? Well, you, all you got to do is ask God, God, what should I do? Well, it's in the book, and it's in the Word of God. And so we saw all these couples going through divorce. So many, many a kid would, I, I would go to divorce court, and I said, guys, you can't talk. We, there's a balcony in the Tulsa County Divorce Court. Guys, you cannot talk. We're going to sit here for about three hours. You're going to see today two people at one time swore their undying love to other. I love you, I love you, until death us do part or I kill you first. It's one or the other. <laughs> and I've had many a, a senior couple break up, swap rings on the way back to school. I'm not ready to get married. You can get my ring back and get my ring back. It's like, why? Because they don't know what love is. And I, used to, I, teach, I still teach on dating. I say, guys, you know, and I had five daughters. I said, when some guy tells you he loves you, he's a liar from the pit of hell. He can't love you. He can't love himself. He's driving his daddy's car. His mama washed his clothes. His mama put the $20 bill in the pocket so you can go out to eat. He can't love you. He can't love him. Don't marry somebody that can't love you already. And say, how do you know they love? Whether well, they love themselves. You know, this goes back to Ephesians. Love your, love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love your spouse like you love yourself. Well, do you love you? No. Well, we got a problem. Because in marriage counseling, I sit and I only deal with Christian couples. They take them, her, him, she, it, whatever. And they're always blaming somebody else. It's like one finger's going one direction, four fingers come back this direction. And so I give every couple, I'm not a licensed counselor in Oklahoma, so I give every couple 15 minutes to tell me their story. That's not, that's not easy because everybody's got a long story. Everybody's got some, him, or whatever. And so I let them share and I said, I give you 15 minutes and I have the last 15 minutes. And so they come in and start telling she. And I said, okay, now it's my turn to talk. I said, guys, uh, you don't know what marriage is. Marriage is uh, it's the second greatest thing God ever made. Outside of salvation, there's no greater gift from God than finding a spouse. He that finds a, a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from God. Now, the first time I read that, I thought that was a lie. Because I've been married about two and a half years, and I hated my wife. She hated me. Now, we loved each other. We got married. Nobody, nobody in my family had a church wedding. Nobody. Nobody. Who has a church wedding? I, why would I pay somebody I don't know? I can get married for $10. My pastor married me for $10. He did. Paid him $10. We got married. I do. I do. We got it. Let's go get something to eat. Well, well that changed because when I had those daughters, my wife said, Now, Joe, we're having church weddings for all of our kids. Okay. No, Joe, you, you, you know, you don't know. No. And so Denise always gave me a year in advance. Hey, Joe getting married a year from now, here's how much money we're going to need next year. 
I can buy a used pickup truck for that, honey. It's a wedding. Bunch of cheap cake that's not worth eating and just, uh, you know, nasty rice. And No, we did. So we had five magnificent weddings. Five. I could own a fleet of trucks. <laughs> we had a we had a five-piece orchestra, two of them. And... Uh, uh, never had it in a church. We always rented out some incredible facility. One, one got married on a mountaintop in East Tennessee, this magnificent barn with chandeliers hanging in it. And you had to drive a mile and a half to get to it. And catered food. It's like you know, the music. It's like, whew. And I, I danced with all my daughters. And I'd whisper, don't ever, don't, don't ever think you're not worth something. Now I'm telling you. I paid big money. And I told, and said, that, and, and so, but I realized something, uh, that's what men do. Men are to give their life away. A, a covenant, uh, is, marriage is a covenant. You cannot have a covenant unless somebody dies. That's, that's in the book. And so Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. It, the cards just say, I'm so sorry. I heard you got married. <laughs> because you don't die at that marriage ceremony. You're a half-dead zombie. You're smelly, and you're noisy, and you're mouthy. And it's like a covenant means everything I ever, everything I own now, Everything I ever will own, I give to you. Everything you have or ever will have, you give to me. You don't have to ask for anything. Get in the bank account, get it out. Get the keys, drive it off. Everything I have is now yours. That's what a real covenant is. But people don't understand that. So in America, that's why divorce rate is so high. Well, I didn't know what they were like. I, I should have met their family. And everybody goes to that. I remember the day we got married. It's like, you know, with all the kids, we went with those ceremonies. Like, I remember like, the day you get married, the minute you say I do, scales will fall from your eyes, revelation will come from heaven. Oh, what did I just do? You made into that, big boy. All the flakes and nuts in the tree and all the crazy acorns, and it's all yours. You think you can pick and choose who you're going to hang with? No. Family tree is the family tree. And so now you become an apostle. You're an apostle. I'm an evangelist to a lost world. But you first get married, we're not going to hang out with them. I don't like them. I'm going to invite them over. I don't want them. No, no, no. You're an evangelist now. And so we had learned the hard way after several years of visiting the family. We would always witness to everybody, trying to get everybody saved. And they stopped inviting us. They did. I got a big family. Like, anybody going to invite us? So we just show up. And they just look like, uh-oh. And it took us about four or five years to realize we, we need to stop talking. We need to start serving. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. It's about serving other people. It's not you and what you think. It's about who can I serve? Who can I help today? So I'm going to give you the scripture. This is Matthew chapter 20. This, there's two short passages. This is really good. Denise and I are three years into our marriage. We hated each other's guts. I hated her and she hated me. The problem is there was no divorce in our family. And we are an old kind of Pentecostal family, so... We had people that would get drunk, make moonshine, steal your car, beat you up. But there was no divorce. That's a sin. And so, and you're laughing. I'm serious. So if you got it, like, that's yours till Jesus comes. Oh, Father in heaven. And so, and we didn't realize Jesus did not find a church. Jesus built a church out of thumb-sucking, hell-bound sinners. People say, well, you think you're religious. No, I'm righteous. I'm not religious, but I am righteous. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God saved me. Warts and all. I didn't earn anything. I didn't walk on water, raise the dead. I was a heathen headed to hell, and somebody witnessed me, somebody prayed for me. I gave my life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, things turned around. So I like this. This is a Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is heading back to town. He knows he's going to the cross. He's already given a speech to the boys. They're not paying any attention. Uh, so uh, I'll jump in here at verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt, she knelt respectfully to ask him a favor. Jesus said, what is your request? She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered, saying, said, do you not know what it is you're asking? Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they said, we can do that. And Jesus said to them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my left or on my right. My Father in heaven has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. He didn't get mad at them. Now, you've got to understand, there's 12 apostles. 
Two of them have their mother with them. They're not riding on the bus. They're walking back to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, like, why don't they always have their mom with them? And so all of a sudden, you know, I'm sure they're talking about it. Everybody, they're human. And all of a sudden, mom gets up with the boys. She goes up to you, hey, kneels down. I'd like to ask you a favor. Whenever you come to this big kingdom thing, I want my boy to sit right next to you. And she said, well, I don't have any say so. My father does. Now, the other ten apostles got sideways on that, I guarantee you. Like, what? You've got your mother asking something? My mother loves me. Where's your mother at? At least my mother's here. Where's your mother? <laughs> and Jesus did not get on to the mom for asking. He didn't. He said, well, I can't answer. I'm only my father. But he didn't get mad. He loves people who are aggressive. God loves aggressive people. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when nobody's chasing. So Jesus breaks on in and says, he says this, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I tell people, you know, uh, it's about giving our life away. If you're born again, you gave your life to God. You gave it away the day you got born again. My life belongs to God, and I belong to him. What are you going to do? I want to do whatever he asks. When you get to heaven, God does not want to hear what I did. He wants to know, did I do what he asked me to do? I'm sure a lot of people want to brag, well, I did this, and I did this. Well, that's good, but I didn't ask you to do that. Did you do what I asked you to do? You know, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. I tell people, when you get married, you know, marriage is the second greatest thing God can do for any human. But it's going to take money and time and effort and you might lose a little sleep. It's not a rose bush. It's a journey. Life's not a destination. It's a journey. Uh, Denise and I were married for 45 years, and I realized something. Every year was different. She changed all the time. Because men don't like change. They marry women think, I know I like that woman. She'll be this way forever. Oh, no, big boy. She's going to change the day if you say I do. Because she's already got her eyeball on you saying, I'll change him when I get him married. Because women think they can change their husbands. Husbands think they can never change their wives. They don't want to change them. Neither one's true. And so every year, Denise and I have a different, we grew. We grew mentally, spiritually, financially. We're growing. And so the things Denise liked years ago, she didn't like anymore. Uh, the first 17 years of our life, we went to my family farm on vacation every year in East Tennessee. We'd drive to East Tennessee. My father's got a big farm. Uh, got a big old five-bedroom house. Food's free. My mom ran the high school cafeteria for 30 years. She's a great cook. So we got free food, free shotguns, free rods and reels, free bass boat. It's all free. Her family lived three miles away, so we'd eat all the food at my family's house, drive three miles away, and eat all the food at her family's house. Wonderful vacation. We're driving back after 17 years of doing this. I thought nothing about it. I thought she loved it. I love it. That was great. Cheap vacation. Free babysitter with the kids. So we're driving through Memphis, coming back to Tulsa, and Denise, she, she, she never yelled. She never yelled, but she would speak direct. She said, Joe, we're not going to your family farm on vacation ever again. Just said it real calm. And we're driving through Memphis, and I said, did you and Mom get in a fight? No, I love your mother. We'll go visit for a day or two, but we're not going to your family farm on vacation ever again. I said, where do you think we're going to go? She said, I want to go on a real vacation. What kind's that? She said, the kind you pay for. And I said, well, where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to Disney. As in world? As in Florida? I said, honey, do you have any idea what it will cost the eight of us to go to Disney? Joe, I don't care. You've got a year to get us there. She leaned over the back seat of the suburb and said, hey, kids, guess what? Dad's taking us to Disney next year. <laughs> and they yelled and hollered, hugged, me from, hugged my neck from the back. And then she looked at me and just winked at me. And so I knew, okay, pressure's on. Pressure's on. I got a year. And there's a whole story within that. So... Next year we made it to, we went to Disney, stayed in a nice Ramada Inn. And uh, we showed up and the doors opened and we stayed. They shut that thing down after the parade was over. We, I, sp I spent every dime on $3 Pepsis and $5 popcorn. We bought stuff that was junk that we didn't need, but we were there. And so I remember I, I leaned over and I kissed Denise. We're on the ferry boat going back across. I leaned over and I kissed her and I said, I did good because it took four years to get there. Because the first year, we ran out of money in Gaston, Alabama. You ever been to Gaston, Alabama? They got a big brass peanut city square. Make a lot of peanuts in Gaston. And so we ran out of money in Gaston, so we stayed in the Motel 6. Uh, we rented videos. We 
ate at the Chinese restaurant every evening because kids under 12 ate for free. And Denise never yelled at me once because she knew I used every ounce of faith. I'd saved every dime I could. She never said a word. Kids kept saying, where's the daddy? Shut up and get in the pool. Shut up and get in the pool. <laughs> the second year we made it to Jacksonville, Florida. We're not on the ocean, but we can drive to it. And so we were in the water and, and kids said, Dad, when are we going to Disney? We got a video. We're watching the video. Shut up. Get in the ocean. We're going to watch the video tonight. Third year we made it to uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. I love Clearwater Beach. It's on the Gulf side. It's a beautiful place. Five-star hotel. I'm moving up the food chain. So our kids are in the water, and Denise and I are sitting in the lounge chairs. It's a beautiful day, nice, calm water. And so I brag on myself. I'm, I'm the verbal one of the family. I said, I did good, didn't I, babe? I did good. You did good, Joe. Nice place. And I said, yeah, my thighs are great. And she said, but, Joe, this is not the real ocean. I'm not making this up. I said, what? No, this isn't the real ocean. This is the backwater. The real ocean's on the other side of the state. And I've learned by now. I've learned that. I appreciate you pointing that out, sugar. I never thought about that. And then she said, Joe, I want you to drive us to Disney tomorrow. I said, honey, I have no money to go to Disney. I mean, it, it's a stretch coming in. No, I just want you to drive us over and show the kids where you're taking them next year. And so we got up the next morning. We went to a Hardy's breakfast place. Got a breakfast sandwich at Hardy's. And so we drove over to, to Disney, and we parked in the Mickey Mouse section. We rode the golf cart to the front entrance. And I told the kids, we're not going in, we're just going to look at So they're excited. We're not going in, we're going to see where we're going next year. And we go in, and so, you know, we're not there where all the turnstiles are, we're over here where the black bars are. So we're looking through the black bars. And the monorail's going overhead, the train's coming through, they got that big restaurant right there on the front. And Goofy, the Goofy came up, and we had our picture taken with Goofy. He's behind the bars, but we're there with him, and we had our picture taken with Goofy. We had this really sweet couple that was coming in and said, you mind taking a picture of us? So we're always still with our back to Disney. We smiled really big and took a picture. And so we got back to Tulsa. Kids are starting school. Corey's in the fifth grade. And she took that picture to school because on Friday you have show and tell. Every kid gets 60 seconds to share what they did that summer. And so uh, I didn't know Corey had it. So it was Corey's turn. She got it. Oh, Corey, tell everybody where you went this year. We went to Disney. And he goes, whoa. And next year, we're going in. <laughs> and that lady eventually worked for me as my secretary. She never has let me forget that story. So I tell people, we went the next year, and we stayed in the same Ramada Inn, and uh, I bought a three-day pass. And that morning, I took uh, two rolls of toilet paper and stuffed it in all the kids' tennis shoes because you have to be so tall to get on those rides. You know, because you, you got to back up. And so, and so I said, I said, Dad, let's shut up. Keep, keep that in your shoe. And I said, get on that ride. You're getting on. I don't care if you puke your guts out. You're riding never ride down it. So we, we rode the Tower of Terror twice. I think I saw Jesus twice that day. And I've never, I've never been on a ride since. I got nothing left to prove to anybody. And so I tell people, I said, you know, now we still go to Disney from time to time. And uh, we don't drive. We fly. Fly right into Orlando. And uh, we stay at the downtown Hilton. A limo picks us up. Uh, they carry our luggage for us. We used to on the seventh floor because the swimming pool's on the seventh floor. They have, they have live birds in the hallway that talk to, and you walk by, and they'll talk. To, and then on the breakfast buffet, it's not a stale donut. They have caviar, caviar on the breakfast buffet. It's like, I tell people, we didn't get there overnight. Biggest challenge with all families, all families, is they have no vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. People are just trying to survive. They don't think they can go anywhere. They don't think they have enough time, enough money. They don't have enough anything. Well, we don't, we don't, we can't, we don't, we can't. And they go through life thumb-sucking. The Bible says whatever's not a faith is sin. You never have the money to do what you want to do, but you need to have a vision. And you need to cast the vision. So I tell couples all the time, you sit down once a year at the first year, if money and time are no object, what do you want to do this year? If money and time are no object, you have unlimited money, what would you really like to do? And they can really think big. It's like, well, I'd really like to do this. And most couples will tell us when we tell them that, well, I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know you thought that. And they've probably been married maybe for 30 years, and they've never been truthful because they're just busy trying to maintain, make everything work, and they never cast vision to one another. And it's really sad. And Jesus told us, listen, life's about serving other people. So I tell people, when you get married, greatest day of your life, but you're going to spend the rest of your life giving your life away. Lisa almost got divorced three years from our marriage. I hated her. She hated me. And a spiritual Methodist invited us to a Bible study. We went six Friday nights in a row. I've never been to a Bible study. I grew up in church. What's a Bible study? What is this? 
but he's my boss and I need a raise. And so there's, there's nine of us that are lab technicians and we went every Friday night, took our wives and he had a big basement. We'd always go downstairs for some fellowship. Well, I'm my back slid in Baptist. Let's go gum flap a while. And so he'd always go down that basement and he'd always have this pocket Bible he would pull out. He carried it with a lime green pocket Bible. And so, that's kind of cute. What is that? And he'd read a Bible story. And I remember uh, the first night we were there, he said, he read a story about, about Jesus healing the sick. He said, now who, who tonight, you know, would like to have, uh, Phyllis not lay hands on you and pray for you? You got any sickness in your body? And I'm not paying attention. We're all gum flapping down there. And, and they said, we'd like to anoint you with oil. And I said, what did he say? What, what about some oil? So he reached under the end table there and pulled out a bottle of something. And I thought, it's an Amway meeting. We have been suckered into an Amway. I told him, don't you buy a thing. We're not buying a thing. Well, it wasn't an Amway meeting. It was just some it was oil. And so my best friend, wife Janice, had bad knees from basketball in high school. And they came over and knelt down in front of her. And Phyllis put the oil and put them on their hands. And they started doing some Shandai Hikimah who stole a Honda. They were speaking Greek. I don't know what they were talking about. And they finished praying. And they backed up. I said, well, Janice, stand up. And these are our best friends. So Janice stood up. And she started jumping up down like she's on a pogo stick. They're, I'm healed. I'm healed. And everybody's clapping. And now, who else would like to have hands laid on? And don't you touch me. I don't know what you did. You put a hoodoo on it. Don't you touch me. I don't know what they did, but don't you touch me. And so we wrote that for six weeks. And so I'm, I'm there with my brand new Bible. And Denise is getting up. Joe, why don't you participate during this thing? I'm trying not to look stupid, babe. I don't have a clue where they're going or what they're talking about. I'm just trying to blend in. But Joe did not. You better participate. So I remember that sixth night. Sitting and Denise is pinching my leg, you know. They're like, I held my hand up. This is my boss, chemical engineer, Bill Clark. We're for Olin Master. I said, Bill. He said, yes, Joe. I said, Bill, what page are you on? And Bill said, well, Joe, what kind of Bible do you have? I have an American Bible. <laughs> no, 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 Joe, what, what translation is it? It's in English. <laughs> and they never laughed so hard, nobody ever laughed at me. And I got thoroughly embarrassed, and I realized I don't know a clue, I don't know what I'm doing. So I went home, it took me six weeks. I started in Matthew, and I went to Revelation. What I was looking for, because they talked about laying hands on sick and casting out devils, I thought, there's no devils. Jesus killed them all. I saw the Easter movie. Jesus killed all the devils. They're burning in hell somewhere. And so we'd get in bed at night. We didn't have kids at the time. I'd get in bed at night and turn the light on. And they said, what are you doing? I'm just going to read my Bible. And she's so proud of me. And what I'm looking for is where all the devils died. So I started in Matthew. Man, I'm ripping through. So six weeks later, I finished up in Revelation. And, and I had the Revelation that night like, they're still here. I didn't go to sleep to almost son of like, they're, they're still here. And the only reason I got filled with the Holy Ghost, because this guy said, you need to get the Holy Ghost and get some power. I said, so I'm punching out at work, 11 o'clock, work with old mass, punching out. I got on my knees after punching out. I'm the last guy to leave the, the lab that day. I said, Lord, you know, I don't know much about this Holy Ghost thing. It's in the Bible. Evidently, it's real. And the apostles, they needed it, so... I'll take it. I'll take this Holy Ghost thing. Whatever I need to do to get it, it's fine. I'll take it. And if that tongue thing goes with it, I'll take that too. In Jesus' name, amen. So I punched out. So I'm driving home 11 miles from the house. I'm driving that pickup truck. So I'm going down Manufacturers Road, pulling up on the interstate, headed up to Hickson, Tennessee. I'm looking over my shoulder, make sure the traffic's clear. And I listen to nothing but country music. I never listened to any rock and roll. I grew up in the deep south. So we listened to bluegrass. Had a bluegrass barn up in Dayton, Tennessee. Bluegrass every Friday night. So I knew lots of Lester, Latin Earl Scruggs and bluegrass. I, don't, I never listened to rock. I didn't know what rock was. And so I'm listening to some country station. That's as close to national as I can get. So I got country music, and I'm singing along with Loretta Lynch. I'm singing with Loretta Lynn. I was, and all of a sudden, I look back around. I pull up on the road, and I just had this, this kind of mental image of Jesus. I just kind of saw, huh, I look like Jesus. And next thing I knew, I'm driving. And next thing, I wasn't singing along with Loretta. I was I was garbling. I don't know what I was saying. And I thought, what am I saying? And I thought, oh, man, I think I got that tongue thing. <laughs> I think I got that tongue thing. And, man, I was Shonda Hikimon, who stole my Honda. I was just rolling. And so Loretta Lynn went off. Conway Twitty came off. So I sang along with Conway Twitty. And then Johnny Cash. And then I sang along with Johnny Cash. So to this day, when country music comes on, I start Shonda. I can sing along with anybody. And so I got to the house. I thought, I can't stop. I don't know how to start it. I don't know how to start again. So I got to the house. I drove past the house up in the country. My wife, we live in a little rent house. And I know she's going to be worried if I don't come home. I should be home by now. I've got to go home. 
I pull up in the driveway, the porch light comes on, Denise comes out the door, and she's like, where you been? And she can't see me because the light's reflecting in the truck window. And I'm in there, Shonda, I hit him on with the best stuff, man, I'm cutting loose. I said, now God, I hope you can hear me think while I'm praying. You've got to hear me think while I'm praying. Lord, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop, but then I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, please let me start again. Please let me start again. So Denise is reaching the truck handle, and I got to three, and I opened that truck like I'd been in a camp meeting. I shined I hickey mode all over the front yard. I had camp meet, man. And Denise said, what'd you do? I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Where? Loretta Lynn? Loretta Lynn. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and Denise is at a church of God where they tarried. And the longer you tarry, the holier you are. If you tarry long, you're a Shonda person. I got it with Loretta Lynn in the truck. I, and she says, that's not real. It was. I did. It's the real thing. I don't know why I told that story anyhow. So now I'm out of time, so let me do this for you real quick. Um, we do a survey every year with all of our partners. We ask, we say, we'll pray for them. Every year, we have one day of prayer for our partners in our ministry. And I, it's real prayer. I said, now we need to know what you need. These are born-again, spirit-filled Christians in the churches we've been to. They have signed up to partner with us. They said, listen, we're going to pray real prayers. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. We're not going to pray something goofy. We're going to pray the word of God. So what do you need? Healing, got restoration in your marriage, kids are in trouble, teens messed up. Tell us what it is, and we're going to pray specific prayers. Well, man, a bunch of them came in last year, and there was more than said, we got to, we got to categorize this. This is too many. We'll need three days to get through this. So we kind of bunched them up, and here's what the bunch is. This is mine. This is Joe McGee. This is the bunch I put them out. I put them in four groups. This was the essence of the prayer request for these four groups. Number one, this is what they were asked for, Christians. We need more love and respect in our family. I'm sorry, is this a Christian family? Yeah, we need more love and respect. What does it mean? We don't have any. Number two, we want more, <coughs> more unity. We need more happiness and less arguing. And I guess they're fighting a lot. Number three, we need to be in agreement even when we don't agree. We had to write all those people, either a letter or an email, say we can't agree for that. You either are in agreement or you're not. We can't pray for it. That's up to you. Number four, we need more working together. I thought, what's wrong? The family's busted. It's the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they got fired from their job, evicted from the house, kids started killing each other. When Adam said God came down and he asked him, he's looking for Adam. Adam, he knew where he was. Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I'm over here. He said, what are you doing? Well, I was hiding. She got on. I made some leaves, got some clothes. Why? Well, I was naked. Who told you you were naked? And so he won't answer. He said, did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? And Adam's thinking, the woman, it was the woman you gave me. God, when it was me and you, it was paradise. It was good. Ever since you brought that woman in my life, I've been going downhill. <laughs> Message translation. God turns to Eve and says, what's your story? She's saying, dumped on me again. He's dumped on me again. And so she's saying, well, well, well. Snake's fault. Snake's fault. One for that snake, wouldn't have happened. From the very beginning, it's nobody's fault. It's my daddy's fault, my mama's fault, my teacher's fault, my, my coach's fault, my in-law. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm fine if it wasn't for everybody else. I said, no, you're deceived. Until you're willing to take responsibility for you, nothing will change. So I had to come to realization, whatever's going on in my family, that's my fault. If I'm the head of the family, yeah, then whatever it is, that's my fault. I'm responsible to fix it, not accuse it. So also I realized, i got to start thinking different. So, Give these other four. These are the top goals for this year. What do, you, what do you need? These are Christian families. What do you want? We want to grow closer as a family. Why? We're not close. We want to have more fun. Why? We have no more fun. We got married and fun left the building. <laughs> Number three, we want to have more unity, peace, and harmony, and we want to build a stronger core. So the Bible says Jesus unites, the devil divides. From the very beginning, God, listen, Lucifer, he was the anointed cherub that covered. He's in heaven. He's the kumbaya guy, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, charge of wealth, charge of music. He's the one that's the head angel. And I don't know what happened. One day he went to the Angelic Union Hall and he said, boys, I've been thinking, I can take this old man. I've been watching for eons of time, I'm telling you, I can take this old man. And the Bible says one third of the angels you cannot count stood up and said, we think you can too. And Lucifer read a, let a rebellion in heaven try to remove God from his throne. And they asked Jesus one time, did you ever see the devil? Uh-huh. What do you look like? Lightning bolt coming out of heaven. He got fired from his job. It was no big deal to God. God didn't make the earth void without form, by the way. God made everything beautiful and perfect. How did the earth get void without form? Genesis 1. Satan got cast down the planet. He's mad. He tore everything up. He lost his position. He did not lose his gifts. Full of wisdom, beauty, the things he's got people chasing. I can be smarter than them. I look better than them. It's like, you're chasing something going to go back to dust. What are you doing? Try serving somebody. If you serve somebody, that's how you get elevated. 
So all of a sudden he tore everything up and so we realized Satan is the legal God of this planet. When Adam and Eve sinned, Satan became the legal God. Now I'm the only preacher in my family. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law's got 12 brothers and sisters. I'm the only preacher. I do all the weddings and funerals for free. And I've done them all over the country. And I get the dumbest comments. Well, I guess God needed them in heaven. Some, I had an uncle die when he's 53. And his brother came up and they're shaking hands. It's the typical Baptist funeral. We're going out to the graveside and I'm shaking hands, standing by the casket. So said, well, God, God, I guess God needed him in heaven, Brother Joe. And I squeezed his hand out and pulled him and said, no, God didn't need him. He wouldn't need any good to anybody down here. He didn't talk to me at the graveside service. And I realized, as a minister, don't lie. Liars go to hell, by the way. Tell the truth. I love you, but truth will set you free. I said, no, he wouldn't even, he's sorry. I'm sorry he died, but you know, it God didn't take him. God didn't take anybody. God promises the long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So we're chasing the long life. We're not chasing this. So we kind of came back to the realize that I need to, I need to start telling the truth to people. So Revelation 2, verse 4, I'll give you this kind of in closing. Revelation 2, 4, I like this. The church at Ephesus, and uh, he's talking, of all the churches, this one got bragged on the most. Seven churches, some of the things aren't too good. This got bragged on the most. He loved the church at Ephesus. You've sacrificed, you've served, you've given. I'm really pleased with it. And so they're thrilling. But he said, the angel said, but I do have this one thing against you. They said, I thought you liked us. I do like I love you. But I do have this one thing against you. And they said, what? He said, you have left your first love. I said, what? Yeah, you've left your first love. We all do it. We all go through this in marriage. When I fell in love, I wanted to be with Denise 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to suck the lips off her face, eat a cheeseburger, or take a nap in anticipation of sucking her lips again. Seriously, I had no goal in my life except sucking lips off that woman's face. I love that woman. It wasn't a very deep goal, but it was a very pure one. And so he said, you've left your first love. And so we all go through the marriage. All of a sudden, you get busy paying bills, getting the kids' teeth fixed. They're crooked, you know, trying to help them pass out, get them out of the house, pay for a wedding, get them through college, buy them a car, like blah, 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 blah. And so I remember many nights, Denise and I, we'd go home like we'd wink at each other. Tonight, tonight. Then you go home, you got to get dinner ready, you got to help somebody with their houses. Somebody had a science fair project. You, yeah, tonight, tonight. And I remember one night we woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, we got the kids in bed, and I'm laying on the lazy boy recliner, 2 o'clock in the morning, in the living room, TV's still on. I have a half gallon of chocolate and ice cream. It's gone, it's empty, on my belly. I woke up, Denise is on the couch. There's a half gallon of vanilla ice cream next to her. And we were going to go upstairs and play kissy face. What happened to you? Well, what happened to you? Would you, did you eat all that? What well, did you eat all that? And it wasn't good. <laughs> love's what you do on purpose. You can't wait for an event or a moment. <gasps> love's what you do for somebody. For God so loved the world, God gave his son to a thumb-sucking, hell-bound world. God loved us when we were not lovable. That's what love is. It's what you do for somebody, not what you feel. I, love has a feeling, but I'm going to love you. And so I made, a, I made my mind at 12 years in our marriage. I told Denise, we finally got spirit filled. We're in church. Things are going better. And I realized one day, because I kept trying to change her, you know. I did. I was, I'm going to, because, you know, we got married. I love Coca-Cola. Uh, I worked with a Coca-Cola company when I was going to college. Coca-Cola, it's the real thing. It says on the bottle, the real thing. <laughs> to me, Pepsi was a watered-down children's drink. I don't want to drink Pepsi. It's a watered-down children's drink. I want the real thing. So we got married. Denise and I said, Joe, bring, bring home a Pepsi. I never brought home a Pepsi, ever. Coca-Cola, two big bottles. I said, so I wanted a Pepsi. Honey, your family messed you up. Coca-Cola's better, trust me. My family used Tide detergent. Her family used Cheer. Now, I'm, I grew up in a farm and hunting in the woods. I got some skank stain. I need some Tide. I don't need to cheer nothing up. I'm going to stink and cheer. I had outside dogs. We didn't feed our dogs. You don't ever feed your dog. Catch your own food, dog. We lived out in the country. You better chase something. If you don't, you'll be dead yourself. So we never, we never bought dog food. What kind of fool buys dog food? And so I'm serious. And I get judged for that sometimes. But we never fed our dog. Well, Denise had an inside dog. She loved inside dogs. And so she bought this dog for her father. And her father finally, he passed away at 95, went to heaven. So it's this little shisu. There's no tea in there. Shisu. Shisu. And, uh, and they, somebody found it on the side of the road and gave it to the kennel. The kennel had given it shots. And, then they said adopted it and gave it to her dad. Well, now her dad's died, and so she's coming out of the house. So we doing that dog. We're taking it home. Oh, praise God. All right. Because at this time, I do what she wants. 
And so we went home, and, we, and that dog, that dog, till the day it died, slept on the foot of our bed every night. It couldn't go to sleep unless it's at the foot of our bed. Every night. Every night. <laughs> now you understand? Every night that dog's down there somewhere. I love that dog. <laughs> and that dog finally died. Praise God. <laughs> Denise called me. I was in Pennsylvania. Denise goes, Joe, there's something wrong with Scooter. This day. They're going to have to cut his tongue out. And I stay real calm because Denise was real logical. She's the smart one in the family. I thought, well, how's he going to swallow? Well, they're going to hook him to an IV. We'll have to bring it home. We'll have to take back and get the IV re-plugged in once a week at the vet. So he won't be able to ever swallow? No. He'll have to live without IV in it. And I'm thinking, this is my wife. She didn't think stupid. I, saw, I said, well, honey, can they not just cut out part of, her, part of the tongue? Is there not just a spot that's worse than another? She said, I'll ask the vet in two hours. She said, yeah, Joe, they, I think they can cut out just not quite half the tongue. He'll still be able to swallow. Well, let's do that. Well, Joe, they said it's a real dangerous operation. Well, that's better than no tongue at all, sugar. It's going to be a whole lot better deal for that dog. So then she called about, I don't remember, about 5 in the morning. She called, Joe, Scooter died. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I know you love that dog. I am so sorry. <laughs> we did the best we could. Yes, we did, honey. I love that dog. Well, Joe, do you mind if I have him cremated? I grew up in the country. You don't cremate nothing. You find a shovel, dig a hole, and stick the thing in it. I cremate nothing. But I knew, sure, honey, you just have that thing cremated. And so she did. $350. $350. And that box was sealed. Got a picture of the dog on the front, brass name plate on top, scooter. And I thought, in your right mind, do you really believe that that's those dog's ashes in this box? <laughs> and I didn't say that. I thought that. And so uh, my wife passed away went to heaven about a year and a half ago. And so I'm cleaning out some stuff in the garage, going through stuff and kind of getting rid of stuff. And I found that box with Scooter in it. I thought, that stupid dog. And I chunked that thing in that plastic trash can. <laughs> I got rid of that. That's a, that's a waste. So I'm sitting at my desk that evening, typing, doing some stuff. And I, I just kind of felt God talk to me. You know, when you get to heaven, she's going to ask you about that dog. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I'm not. I just said, thought, yeah, come. So I went out in the trash can in the garage, and I dug through, and I got that box out, and I washed it off, and that box is sitting on the fireplace mantle. That scooter. He'll be there till Jesus comes. Because love, listen to me, I'm trying to make a point. Love's what you do for somebody, not what you feel. Love's about serving somebody else. I used to say, Hallmark's got the card all wrong. You should say, I'm so sorry. I heard you got married. Because if you don't die at that ceremony, you're a half-dead zombie. Because the covenant's about giving your life to somebody. And that's what makes marriage so great. The rest of your life, you're going to be learning new things, growing together, finding out new things. Denise is not the same woman I married. She changed. She changed a lot. Like I said, that's how I ended up Disney. You know, she had different ideas, different opinions, dressed different. She wanted all her kids to go to private college. The first time she said, private college? I'm not going to stink at private college. So I think they're supposed to go to this private Christian school over here. I said, uh, so you need to start believing God. So for three years we believed God. Pled the blood, bound the devil, made the confession. And my first daughter got a half a scholarship her first year. My second daughter's coming to school, and uh, same school. We're believing God for a basketball scholarship. We're getting no, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I got a guy, a friend of mine, who got his daughter a scholarship at Texas Tech. He played center at Texas Tech. Big old tall boy. He's in, that, he's in Russia today as a missionary. And so uh, when Title IX came out, uh, it changed everything. If you are a university, you have, give, you have to give as many scholarships to females as you do males. And so if you're a father or a woman, that's good. So he, he got Texas Tech. And so what he did, he mailed off 100 applications to 100 universities who had not, who now because of Title IX have to give female scholarships. He wrote 100 universities looking for a scholarship for his daughter to play basketball. She was good. She wasn't great. Twelve wrote back out of the 100. Only 12 wrote back offering some sort of scholarship. Four offered full scholarship. He got on a plane to flies to Texas Tech. And he goes in. Of course, the athletic director knew him. Hey, man, how you doing? How you doing? I said, well, so I'm just here wanting to visit. I said, uh, I've got four scholarship offers for my daughter to play basketball. And you guys haven't even called us. Because he'd been a star there at Texas Tech. 
He said, your kid, let us see that. So he hands those four scholarship offers to the athletic director. Well, hey, we'll take care of that right now, Richard. We can take care of that right now. And he left with a full four-year scholarship for his daughter. Now, the point of that story is, if you want something, you have to go get it. The promised land was over the river. It's over there. It's not over here. It's over there. But not only is it over there, but there's some big ugly people over there. Ten foot tall, six fingers, six toes, and bad breath. Like, whoa. <laughs> if you want something, you have to do something aggressive to go get it. Well, God loves me. He loves everybody, but you can go to hell and he still loves you. You got to get saved. You need to get in the Word of God. You've got to fellowship with the saints. You've got to grow in your faith. You've got to start serving other people. That's how you get stuff is by giving it away. The more you give away, the more you get back. You cannot outgive God. So it starts in your own marriage. We can do it. I'm going to start loving my spouse. We were, we were, I took the niche. We were, we were driving over to Arkansas to do a seminar. We were in a good mood. We were laughing all the way over and uh, listening to the music. And I've been praying about something for three years that had not been happening. But God, what's wrong? I bound the devil, pled the blood. I'm doing everything you said. Why is this door not opening? And I heard God say, this is me. You don't have to believe me. I heard God say while we're driving. And we're, it's a beautiful day. We're in a good mood. I heard God say, your wife likes Pepsi. And I thought, I'm not trying to be funny. I thought, well, she doesn't know any better. And I'm still praying in the Holy Ghost. We're having a good time. Listen to something. Just listen. I'm praying to myself. And all of a sudden, about five minutes later, I heard God say again, your wife likes Pepsi. I thought, that's not good. Twice is never good. That's not good. I pulled in the parking lot over in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the big mall there, and I pulled in. She said, what are we doing? I need to repent. I'm sorry, sugar. I have been a bad husband. No, you haven't been a great husband. No, 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 no. I've been very selfish. And she said, but I'm going to change that because Denise would send me after feminine stuff. I don't want to buy no feminine stuff. I don't want to buy nothing feminine. I don't buy makeup or nothing. You go get that stuff. So Denise had sent an empty bottle of base with me going into town one day. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Joe, when you come back to town, pick it, stop at the mall, dealers, get this base. So, man, you know, it's Thanksgiving, the mall's packed. I have to park way out there, go to the second floor, and I'm up there, and I realized when I got up there, I forgot the bottle. I've left the bottle in the truck. Oh. So I thought, oh. And so the lady said, can I help you? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm looking for that base makeup that the women wear. And she knew she had a doofus on her hands. She smiled real nice. She said, well, sir, that'll be aisle two and aisle three. No, it's just that bottle of base stuff that women wear. Yes, sir, that will be aisle two and aisle three. Now, there weren't long aisles, but I walked through the valley of the shadow of beige. <laughs> I thought, how doofus can a woman be? So I sit down, looked at me, and I said, too light, too dark, just right. I grabbed one right off the middle. And I got home, and I'm trying to get home time to see a football game on that weekend. I sit the bottle on the kitchen table. I head off down to the den. I didn't get to sit down. Denise said, Joe, what is this? That base step you sent me, I didn't send you after this. Uh, honey, I left the bottle in the truck and got this pack, and I just, this base is base, sugar. She said, Joe, if I put this on, I'm going to look like Bozo the Clown. And she made me go back to the bathroom, and she just put a little on there. And when she did it, just, she looked goofy. And so I realized, God, from that day forward to this day, from that day forward, I have never, ever had another Coca-Cola. I don't drink pop, but if I do, I will drink a Pepsi. I don't ever use Tide to Church. I got an old home in Tennessee. I got one in Haskell, Oklahoma. I use Cheer detergent. And I realize I love what my wife loves. I love that foo-foo dog. That's why he's on the mantle, not in the trash can. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to help you. You go through life one time, one time. Make it a good run. Give your life away as much as you can. I'm out of time. Stand up. Stand up. I did a funeral for a sweet lady. I was in Bible school, and uh, she'd bring us food every Friday. And uh, we're living off nothing, man. We've got three minimum wage jobs between the two of us. And every Friday, she'd bring us a chicken or something. And, man, I was so thankful. At least we're not starving. One day, she calls to Joe, um, I need you to help me. My, my husband's died. She'd been married to a guy for about 37 years, and he was the north end of a southbound mule. That was a mean snot man. She's a good holy woman, you know, good Baptist gal. And she's trying to do what's right. I said, my husband's died. I said, we didn't go to church. Can you do the funeral? Well, I'm finished up Bible school my second year, but I've had the funeral section. So I got the funeral book. So, honey, let's, we've got to go see her tonight. And her husband died, and she wants to do the funeral. So we went over there. I sit down. I'm talking to her. I said, honey, I'm so sorry to hear about your husband. I said, um, what would you like me to say at the service tomorrow? I'm not making this up. 
And she's very calm, well-dressed lady. She said, well, you tell everybody tomorrow that he died and went to hell. She's real calm. I said, well, man, we don't know where he went. I do. He died cursing God. He went to hell. I want you to tell his relatives tomorrow that he died and went to hell. You tell them the truth. Ma'am, I can't do that. I don't know where he went. I can't do that. So the next day, my first funeral was the worst funeral that had ever been preached. We had an open cast, and I'm looking down here, and I kept thinking while I'm trying to read scripts, I thought, did he go to hell? Did he go to hell? And, and I thought, good Lord. So we went out to the graveside service. Everybody came by. You do the prayer. shakes hands. And so we're all going to leave. Go get something to eat. And so I said, well, come on home. We'll get something. She said, no, Joe. I want to stay till they cover him up. Now, I never stayed at the funeral that long. I mean, they took down the tent. The green thing went away. The flowers came off the cast. They lower it down, put the concrete lid. And here comes the backhoe. And it was summer. It was hot. And he said, what are we doing? She wants to stay until they cover him up. I don't know. The funeral book says do what they want to do. I don't know. It's my first funeral. So we stay. We're sweating. All of a sudden, they got the hole peeled up. And then that backhoe's kind of pack it down. And she's standing over right by it. And so we're kind of standing in the back. And I kept hearing a noise. I thought, is she saying something? And then he said, I think she's singing. What's she singing? I don't know. So I walked up behind her, and here's what she was singing. She was singing, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. <laughs> so I said, well, Billy, are you ready? Let's go get some She said, I don't want anything to eat. She said, I want you to get me some rose bushes. I said, what? Honey, they threw all the flowers away. No, I want real rose bushes. I've asked my husband his whole life to plant me rose bushes. He wouldn't. He said they were too thorny. I want some so I went, changed clothes, went back to her house, bought three rose bushes, went in the backyard, dug a hole, planted three rose bushes. And I finished about sundown. I said, is there anything else you want? She said, yeah, I want one other thing. So what? She said, I want to go to Las Vegas. Now, this is a good Baptist lady. I said, what? I've always wanted to go to Las Vegas. I don't want to go gamble. I just want to go see a show, eat some of that big buffet food. And he never would take me. He said, Las Vegas is full of sin. I said, how would you know? You're going to hell yourself if you don't get saved. And so it took two months, but we bought a two-way, a round-trip ticket for $400, Southwest Airlines, and we flew her from Tulsa to Las Vegas. And so several months later, because I'm working two jobs, and he's working one, and so school finally ended, and I'm coming through the office one day, and I'm looking for her, and I said, hey, where's, where's so-and-so at? She's, she's in Las Vegas. I said, no, she already went. No, she's, she's gone three times now. I thought, oh, dear God, I'll hook the widow on gambling. I'll hook this woman on gambling. What about it? Well, long story short, she met a, a widower in Vegas, nice guy, white hair, beautiful home. And she married him. And they have this massive rose garden in the backyard. Now, the reason I tell you that story, she's a real happy woman today, married to a good, godly man who lost his wife. You go through life one time, you really ought to make the most of it. What are they going to say after you're gone? Are you the north end of a southbound? Are they going to remember your name? Or are you going to leave everybody better than you find them, starting with your own family? It's about serving your own family. It's not about the mission field. And I believe in missions. I'm getting ready to take a big trip here in two months. It's about your own family. You've got to love people that aren't lovable. Serve people that shouldn't be served. You're going to heat colds fire in the head by loving people. And that's what we do. That's what we're called to do. Do you believe that? Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, according to your word, I ask you, Father, today, for everybody here, Lord, teach our families to fear you. Surround our families with divine favor and bring to our families godly friends. You promise in your word we receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. And everybody said, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for one minute, one short minute, and I'm going to let you go. Nobody look. Two questions. Are you here today and say, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me, and I would like to do something about that today. If that's you, I'd like to pray a short 30-second prayer out of the book of Romans. The Bible says, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you're not saved, I can lead you in a short prayer, and in 30 seconds you'll know that you're a child of God going to heaven. Old things will pass away. All things become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Men don't save men. God saves men. But if that's you in a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Or perhaps you're here and say, Joe, I'm saved, but I haven't been living for God like I should. And Man, I've been stirred up this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I let Jesus save me, Joe, but I'm not yielded to his lordship. 
But today, Joe, I want Jesus Christ to become the Lord of my life, my family, my future, my faith. I'm ready for the Lordship of Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He'll put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. And God promised to make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from. So right now, no, no, nobody looking. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you pray that prayer with me? Or Joe, that's me. I, I want to rededicate my life today. If that's you on either count, would you just raise your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Anyone else? It'll never get easier than this. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. God does the restoring. He just needs our permission. Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raising my hand. Would you please include me in your prayer? Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Hands down. Yes, thank you. I saw your hand. Yes, saw your hand over there. Thank you, son. All right. Hands down, heads about, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raise your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith. With thanksgiving, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for those six hands I saw go up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to their obedience and your holy word as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, you promised you're going to talk to them when they go to sleep. When they wake up, they walk during the day. They're in your hand. Nobody's going to take them out. Lord, as they leave, would you surround them with divine favor? May people begin to look at them with a whole new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We receive them into the family. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, give the Lord a hand clap, people. God bless.